This episode is all about how to properly take care of you during your postpartum period, commonly called the fourth trimester. Our culture places a lot of emphasis on the new baby, and rightly so, but we're sadly missing a huge piece of this puzzle, the health, recovery, and well-being of the new mother. We discuss what practices cultures throughout history and around the world have done to care for their new mothers, and how to plan and prepare for your own well-supported, well-nourished, and restful postpartum. We get down to the nitty-gritty details of how warmth, nature, and community help build you up so that you enter motherhood feeling resilient and replenished rather than burnt out and overwhelmed. Get ready to take some notes. Let's get going. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. Now we're going to talk about postpartum healing and more from a traditional perspective, a part of our culture that maybe hasn't been addressed or that we just don't have in our culture. And again, this is your jam. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the postpartum period, how it's different in other cultures or traditional ways of doing it why we're not doing that or how we're not doing that and then what women can do to make it different. Yeah. So it's, this is another one of those areas where the modern American culture of women giving birth and going through pregnancy and postpartum is that you sort you have the baby and then the focus is on snapping back and getting back to work if you're working or you know, just almost acting as if nothing happened, as if that's some sort of reward or like you get a medal well, for being the same pre and post. Yes. And that like, you should be just the same person all of a sudden now the baby's out of your body. And as if there's no adjustment period and as if there's no recovery or emphasis on recovery, or what does that even look like? A lot of people are just having these babies and then left in the dust to experience those repercussions firsthand, which is really unfortunate, which we do not want to see anymore. Mm-hmm. And when we look back in ancient cultures, there has always been, so this is what we mean by traditional postpartum healing rituals and practices. And often when we look at them across the globe and across history, there are similarities mm-hmm. between them. There are some of these same main tenets and ideas that have been perpetuated throughout history because they work and because they are beneficial to the mother baby unit, sometimes called the mother baby dyad, D-Y-A-D. So they're looking at this as if the mother and the baby are one. And it really is still, I mean, because we know as humans too, well, maybe you don't know, but humans, they think are born almost three months premature due to the size of our brains. So our cranium could not fit and pass through the vaginal canal and through the pelvis had we not been born a little bit premature and so that's why we call that those first three months after the baby's born, the first three months of their life as the fourth trimester. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, that time period where the baby would actually be in your body still. Yeah. And so that baby is still fetal in a lot of ways, you know, that infant phase. And um, although they are outside of our bodies, there's this fourth trimester idea that we need to be recognizing is really important for women in healing and recovering and building healthy milk supplies so we can feed the baby and um, not going back to work at three or six weeks postpartum or even like, you know, a couple of days in some cases. And there's just such a tragedy of modernity, you know, of this modern sort of situation that we're living in because we don't give any reverence or respect and we're not taught to even think about it. Mm -hmm. We're actually taught the opposite, which is that you shouldn't, you're weak or something. If you need to be taking a lot of time off, Yeah. you know, if you, so, and this will be kind of shocking for some people to hear this, but in one of those traditional postpartum rituals or, or traditions that we see across the board is many cultures, the, the oldest cultures that we know of on the planet had a practice or have still today in certain parts of the world as well, of not even allowing the woman to leave the bed for the first 40 
days. Yeah. That is a month plus 10 more days. Mm -hmm. And it is really hard sometimes to even get American women to sit in on the couch or in the bed for one week for seven days. Mm -hmm. And it's partially because of our go, go, go culture and the way that we were, we've been raised and the way that we see, and we get stir crazy and all these different things. Mm -hmm. It's partially because of lack of support. You know, they need to like get up and do things. I have to do the dishes. My husband's not going to do it. Yeah. Or my partner, I don't have a partner Mm -hmm. or I have other kids to take care of. And these are all realities that we have to be uh, factoring in. And we're sensitive to, we're not ignorant to the fact that there is different types of families and that, um, you know, support systems are lacking severely. And so the point of talking about all of this though, is so that if you're in the situation where we can be starting to build your postpartum support network now, Mm -hmm. before you have a baby or while you're pregnant, um, and be thinking about these things Mm -hmm. and integrate them in the best way that you can, given your individual circumstance. Yeah. So, you know, the 40 days thing is really tough to do in this culture. And I I feel like even with the women who know that it's not really being implemented. I never did 40 days, even once, once I've learned about this practice, my, and we talk about our postpartum experiences in a different Mm -hmm. episode, but my first postpartum was really, really bad. (laughs) My second postpartum, because I implemented so many changes was wonderful. I mean, it was like Mm -hmm. a truly healing, wonderful experience. My third postpartum was kind of complicated, different sort of needs of a baby. And then having those two other kids still better than had I not had any knowledge in the past, but I think I pushed it too early. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that I thought I was going to be able to get by on just a little bit of rest. And yeah. And I really did rest mostly because I had a C-section and I had to, but I did the first 40 days of in the home, in the home. Perfect. You know, Beautiful. Not maybe in the bed, but in the rocking chair or the bed and I had incredible support. And honestly, my postpartum was amazing. Excellent. Yes. And I'm so glad for it. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, what we want. So in, in a lot of, um, realms, they actually think of, um, the, uh, the physiological changes and shifts that happen after a woman has a baby is a huge opportunity for her to, now, this isn't necessarily supported by a lot of science, but it's a something that's been a tenant throughout human history, that in this period of time, there is an opportunity to shift and heal, and that the woman can come out of this experience of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and actually be healthier and better. And like, mm-hmm. say that she'd had um, some autoimmune issues or something that, you know, p- potentially partially due to the shift in immune system function while pregnant and then coming back into that postpartum state, but maybe there can be some factors there that are healed, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So, but this is, this is like a very strong piece of this whole thing is that they view this as an opportunity to come back together and like be even healthier as a woman where we, I feel like, I think I did have that. Yeah. Maybe you did. You have so many pieces of your life. So much of my life, it was go, go, go hard, 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 push, push, push. I never rested. I never could because of my unworthiness issues of believing that doing and achieving was the goal. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I had a a reason quote unquote for my brain to be like, no, this is a time to rest and sleep and eat. And that was my job. And so I think it healed so much for me. Well, and there's so many different things now that are better about oh your God, libido 100%. and your, the way your everything. sex feels and everything's better I'm and your hormones just in general. Oh, you know? oh my God. I love that. I know. But I'm just saying like, and we've had such different experiences, yes. but just how like, this it isn't can. just like a wooey thing that like, oh yeah, maybe, but like how it could really potentially change your life. Yes, absolutely. And if it, and even if it's not that, like, maybe that's like the top of the wrong bar, that would be the goal below that. And as what should be like the baseline is that we are cognizant of and trying to mitigate depletion mm-hmm. and just having respect and like acknowledgement of the fact that this is a huge physiological change in a woman's life and body and all of those systems that change throughout pregnancy are going back to their pre-pregnancy state so let's just even touch on that so there is an enormous drop in hormones as soon as the placenta is coming out of the body Mm -hmm. and the placenta has been creating these huge you know high amounts of estrogen progesterone throughout the entire pregnancy and the loss of that is huge. Now there's more prolactin on the brain if we're breastfeeding 
And that can be, you know, a bit of a tough adjustment as well. And part prolactin partially also keeps progesterone and estrogen lower so that we're not cycling in those beginning months. Although sometimes women do, and that's fine, but to keep these breast milk pathways really robust and strong, there was a lot of cardiovascular changes that happen in pregnancy. So we make up to 50% more blood than we used to have. And there was all this it's called angiogenesis. It's like where we're making new blood vessels. Mm -hmm. So there was all of this new cardiovascular material, you know, different arteries, veins, etc., that sometimes are being rerouted or reworked back to their pre-pregnancy state, the uterus doing all its pre-pregnancy state things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then now the body dealing with this, like kind of added stressor, physiological stressor and normal, normalcy in a way of, you know, changing sleep patterns, mm -hmm. responding the maternal brain changes that we know now on MRI. This came out a couple of years ago, maybe like six, seven or mm -hmm. something. And it was really quite cause a ripple effect throughout the science, because it was like, whoa, we, we have overall less matter in our brains <laughs> after we have a baby. And it's, they think it's protective. And I will say from my own experience, protective in that the woman becomes drops down into this sort of nurturing maternal, maybe less higher thinking. And I don't want to imply that we're not smart or something, mm -hmm. but I do think it's protective so that we can be in this like sort of intuitive flow state with our children and recognize their cues, their wants, their needs. There is so much beauty in that and not to be criticized in our culture but it is the way that it is and it's adaptive in a way. And we also just need to know this when we're going back into the workforce or when mm -hmm. we're expected to, you might be actually different. You may be different. different. I really feel like I've noticed that mm -hmm. in the way that Me I was, too. you know, in, I had my first, when I was in medical school, when we were in medical mm -hmm. school together and the way that I used to study and think and retain information and things was just so different afterwards. And partially, you know, because I was fatigued and all of that kind of thing, but also just the way I, I was way more intuitive and I had never mm -hmm. really identified mm -hmm. it as being intuitive. Oh, yeah. I definitely have felt that. Yeah. And that's so cool. I, I, I've always recognized that that was a thing and that people feel stuff. They feel the moon, they feel the changes in the stars and they have these intuitive hits, these downloads, et cetera. But I hadn't really um, experienced that strongly in my own life until I had children. Mm -hmm. And really the strongest intuitive hits I've ever had in my life have been a revolving around my, my children or just about when I'm, when I'm just before I get pregnant, mm -hmm. I have really strong. That's probably like the coolest. So cool. Yeah. I have, I get, I have really strong connections with my, my children's spirits is the way that I, my belief system is mm -hmm. before they conceive. And that's been some of like the weirdest experiences in my life. We can talk about that sometime other because I wouldn't have expected that of myself. Like it just isn't really consistent. But anyways, these changes to our brain are important, protective. They're there for a reason and we need to acknowledge them and the way that we can help support ourselves, our adrenal system, our thyroid, a lot of things can shift and change. So just as much as this is an opportunity for healing in this traditional sense, that's what we hope and want. Mm -hmm. In the modern sense of what we see, unfortunately, is that this is an incredibly sensitive, vulnerable period of time mm -hmm. for unhealth, like disease state, disease states to take place, autoimmunity to express where mm -hmm. there, it wasn't before. Maybe there was a predisposition of an autoimmunity in the genetics and the epigenetics. Now a woman has a very hard, stressful postpartum period, and she's getting a psoriatic arthritis for the first time in her life, mm -hmm. or a Hashimoto's or a hyperthyroid storm mm -hmm. or, or depression, depression, anxiety, etc. things like that. So the postpartum depression rates in this country, I don't have the exact number, but they're the highest in the world mm -hmm. and they're just climbing. And I think that that is such a tragedy and also indicative of the fact that we are not supporting this time of life by mm -hmm. any means. And in fact, causing just so much more damage than we need to be. And a lot of that comes back to, I think if we were allotted the time to rest and bond with our babies and recover, mm -hmm. how much of the physiological component of postpartum depression, anxiety, and all these other maternal, there's postpartum psychosis, OCD, um, it's like I'm forgetting, oh, uh, postpartum bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. So all of this, the spectrum of maternal mental health disorders, the theory is it makes logical sense that 
if there are these predisposed factors of say nutritional deficiencies and exhaustion, stress, lack of support, and then all of this is going to contribute. Nobody can thrive in that kind of a scenario. No. And you're trying to take care of this baby who, you know, you love more than anything, or at least instinctually you're, you're very driven to take care of. Sometimes there's a bit of a delay in the bonding and that's totally normal. I would say I totally had a delay in bonding with my son, Mm -hmm. with my middle daughter was immediate. And with my third daughter, it took like maybe a week. I don't know. It was short, but it wasn't totally immediate. And it's just been interesting to have all different mm-hmm. experiences. What about yeah. you? Which I mean, say- mine was immediate, immediate, okay. but I was actually expecting it not to be that way. You were, I remember that. I you was very, very prepared for a really gnarly postpartum. Probably because you're my best friend. And you heard about mine. <laughs> Probably. Yes. Because I, I, I saw, you out. I saw how hard everyone else's was. Yeah. And I think partly why mine was so good was I saw all the mistakes because we struggled with infertility for so long. I got to see a lot of babies be born and yeah. a lot of postpartums and I saw the struggle. And so I learned nuggets from each of them. Yep. And I felt like I really did set myself up a lot of, with your help to have, like, I did not cook my meals. I did not yes, do my dishes. Yes. I rested and slept. I did exactly what my body wanted me to do. I I had the most supportive situation ever. I also had an easy breastfeeding experience, but yes, even through a C-section and an unexpected C-section at that, I loved her right away. And yeah. I honestly thought I wasn't going to. That's, that's awesome. So this is just so a testament just to a- being prepared and having a lot of things in place helps increase your chances that things will go well. And that's yeah. what we want for everybody. So what does that mean? Or what are these traditional kind of healing rituals, pra- practices that people are doing? So apart from staying in bed for 40 days, or often a lot of midwives will say something like one week in the bed, one week on the bed and one week around the bed. Mm. So that's three weeks. So that's 21 days where you're really giving yourself. And I get the mental, emotional stir craziness of it, but we also need to recognize that that's pathological Mm -hmm. and that you can stay in a bed for three weeks of your life. Mm -hmm. It's the first, you know, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like it's all right, you guys. And if we're feeling a little neurotic or things, we can be reading a book. We can be taught. We don't have to just be staring at our babies in silence. (laughs) You can listen to a podcast, a book. You can have a friend come over and visit you. If you feel like it, whatever Mm -hmm. it's more acknowledging that you're recovering from a very, very big event, whether the baby came out of your vagina or out of your belly, it doesn't matter. But although I will say that C-section recovery even necessitates more rest and Mm -hmm. more healing of the muscles and all the tissue structure, right? But even if your vaginal birth was super easy and quick and you're not swollen, you're not sore. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It was fine. Whatever. Again, there is a big old wound in your uterus from where the placenta was that is healing. You have, you bleed for a period of time. Sometimes it's, you know, a week, sometimes it's a couple of weeks. That's the lochia L O C H I A. It's that postpartum bleed that is totally normal, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of fluids out. You're sweating a lot. I don't know if you sweat a lot, but I sweat a lot. I smelled very bad, (laughs) very bad. And you're making milk, which is the most demanding thing you have to eat more in postpartum time than when you're pregnant an extra meal 640 calories a day just did a post on it and a lot of people don't know that they think oh i'm gonna go back to or something or Or they'll restrict their calories trying to lose weight yes trying to bounce back and lose weight this Mm -hmm. is not the time for that i think it's really sad that we have this idea in our heads and in our culture that we need to be so back to the same, if not in better shape or something after we've had a child Mm -hmm. and there are all of these body changes that can happen in pregnancy. And that is something that can be tough on some people. And, you know, there's a wide spectrum of what can happen, but we need to change this tenet in our culture that no postpartum woman should be doing anything besides sitting and eating and resting for like a month Mm -hmm. and not be working out. And, you know, I see these people in these fitness industries touting that it's totally fine to work out or to be lifting weights again, three days postpartum. And I can tell you that you're taking a huge risk to your particular body. And please stop saying that to the general public, because Mm -hmm. it is not true. Mm -hmm. Your pelvic floor, your vagina, your cervix is still open. Mm -hmm. Okay. Your vaginal canal, your pelvic floor, you are setting yourself up for a prolapse, a pelvic organ prolapse, which is basically where either your bladder, vaginal canal, 
or the uterus itself or your rectum begins to bulge into other parts of your vaginal canal or begins to actually come out and fall out of the vaginal canal. So this is very bad. Um, all of these organs are held up by ligaments and a ton of other connective tissue structure mm -hmm. and, and the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor is a bowl of overlapping muscles that is holding all of our organs of our abdomen in. Because mm -hmm. as we know, when you look at a pelvis, it's a big bony open bowl structure. So what's holding everything up? It's this layer of, of muscles that has to stretch and have good muscle health, which is good contraction and good relaxation in order for a baby to pass. Mm -hmm. Even if you have a C-section, yeah. you can still be at risk for pro pelvic organ prolapse. Mm -hmm. Doing things like exercising, running, lifting weights, anything pressure like that too early in postpartum sets you up for risk. And it may not be that you're going to get a prolapse in this first year postpartum. It may be that when you turn 50 or mm -hmm. 60, and now things are even getting more lax mm -hmm. because of the hormonal changes of menopause. Now you're having your uterus hang out of your vagina because of some things that you did in your twenties and thirties. When you yeah. have your baby, it's really not a, like, this is not a theory. This is a fact. We cannot be touting that women should be working out early postpartum. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. And they think that we're silly and stupid and that they're superheroes and go ahead and do it on your own body. Um, but don't tell other people that that's okay because it's really not. And it's just also, Reach. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, there's a psychological, you need to be recognizing of the fact that you've got some psychological situations that are going on in your brain that you think that you need to be doing that and that you cannot give your body the grace of a couple of weeks of rest mm -hmm. and that therapy would probably be the best option for that. And yeah. I will stand by that. Prove me wrong mm -hmm. either way. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. anyways, yeah, it's more pathological that you feel that you need to get back there. Yes. Your partner telling you that yes. you're not you know, thin enough or it's your own situation. Your own body. That is the pathology. I do not care if you're an athlete. Mm -hmm. It's, you can recover. Yep. When you're going to have a surgery. If you tear you're... your ACL. <laughs> yes. You are not going to be like, oh, I'm fine. Ooh, who gets the badge of honor of who can get back onto the field fastest? Like nobody no wins. one would do You actually lose. Because you know that you will probably jeopardize your entire athletic career, career if you get back to playing too soon or if you don't know that then maybe you'll experience the firsthand yeah you're and maybe you won't and I'm not trying to threaten people I just think that you need to look into that as like as something else that's going on mental emotionally and it is out of line with physiology mm -hmm. so anyways um walking you know I understand when people are getting stir crazy I do I get it a short walk around the block like literally one block maybe when you're like five days or six days postpartum after your milk has come in. I believe nobody should be doing a dang thing before your milk has come in. Mm -hmm. And that takes the three to five days. There's just too much going on physiologically. Sit in the bed, on the couch, wherever you're comfortable, mm -hmm. nurse your baby, doze in and out of sleep when you can and eat a lot. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get there as well. But, you know, maybe a, a quick walk around the, the, not quick, a very slow, cautious walk <laughs> yeah. around one block and getting some fresh air, or even just going and sitting on a chair mm -hmm. or a comfortable spot outside mm -hmm. under a shady tree with your baby. Wonderful. And actually nature is a huge part of mm -hmm. this. Um, and we talk about this as well through pregnancy, being you know, being in a pregnant state where you're creating life is probably some of the most connected times that will be to nature, to mother nature, and to this like inherent energy of the whole world that keeps it going. And, you know, what is this like spiritual energy that we have inside of us? So I'm all about that. It's the, um, like, you know, going to target the park, etc., beach, whatever. Um, and again, I know everybody's going to have their own journey. I would just not recommend this as a doctor to anybody. So mm -hmm. to be going beyond that. So there's this component of rest, right? So there are postpartum mm -hmm. doulas, a postpartum night doula will care for the baby in the middle of the night. They might get you to breastfeed them. Or if you're pumping for some reason, they may have a bottle to feed the baby. There is support options in case mm -hmm. it's not something available to you with local family or friends, mm -hmm. but it was a really great idea to collect some friends around you and ask for that. Mm -hmm. If they're wanting to buy you a baby shower gift, you can ask them for the gift of time and help with maybe your dogs, your other pets, your other children, having them come and hang out with your other children or um, something as simple as creating a meal train. I really like doing that for all of my, my pregnant friends. A meal train, there's a couple of websites, mealtrain.com mm -hmm. or bring them a meal. 
you can set up on a calendar system with some qualifiers of like, you know, if there's any dietary restrictions or what is the couple like to eat, et cetera, how many meals, and you can get the, your local friends and community to be bringing you food so that you don't have to be cooking and your partner doesn't have to be cooking. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it wouldn't be that difficult to do. Like, Oh, I, I we can, can cook, cook. And do, yeah no. and i just like respectfully no yeah you no. can't <laughs> and even if you can that's really you precious shouldn't. time you shouldn't we shouldn't mm -hmm. have to we should all have this cultural just in the way when somebody gets sick or has surgery we care for and i feel like that's like a good analogy to point mm -hmm. to because people know that they know like oh my gosh my neighbor just had knee surgery i'm gonna go bring him a meal it's like oh you're yeah. so sweet that's so nice it's like, yeah, my neighbor just had a baby. I'm going to go feed them. Yeah, but don't like bring them baby clothes, you know, right. bring them, you know, either your time. I'm going to offer to take out your trash to the dishes yes. or, you know, maybe gift them a massage that they get to do later yes. you know, after that window of time. But just, you know, there's ways to support the mother. I think this is the whole point. Is yes. So many people are so baby centric. Yes. But really the things and all the gifts and all the time and the support should be really about the mother during this time. And the only reason that we're baby centric, in my opinion, is because of consumerism mm -hmm. and because of capitalism and money. And these, uh, you know, we've been sort of tricked almost like with the, the holidays, like, you know, Valentine's Day and things. It's all just about money making. And we've been tricked by these megalith stores which i hate like babies are us which bye are bye or bye bye baby that's what i meant bye bye baby is one of the craziest places you'll ever go to <laughs> floor to ceiling stuff that you do not need we'll do an episode about what you actually need to raise a baby it's very little in my opinion at least <laughs> but that is what we need to be shifting is don't bring the baby an outfit bring the family a meal mm -hmm. or something other than that. Ask them what would, how would be the best way I can support you? Mm -hmm. So setting up a meal train is really easy to do. I like to set it up maybe around like 36, seven weeks, just give people some time to get it on their calendars. And even for your friends and family that live out of state or out of city, they can do things like send DoorDash meal delivery mm -hmm. gift certificates. So DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever is around your area. And then you can just order food and have it that way, which is so still so supportive. And yeah. when you're in the moment, I maybe this again, it still doesn't sound that if you haven't had a child yet, maybe it doesn't sound that helpful guys. <laughs> it's so helpful. And a lot of this can be frozen too. You can ask mm -hmm. your friends to bring you frozen meals yeah. and then you can use them at your leisure when you need, it doesn't have to be like, Oh my God, there's so much food in our fridge. Like, what are we going to do? Da, da, da. Yeah. And you can tell people exactly what you like. And you don't, if you're not into fish or something, write it on the meal train website. It's easy. So anyways, Resting, eating. So back to that eating and just a little bit more about that is that I, in my ideal world, what I tell clients is you need to be eating four meals, mm -hmm. meals, six, 800 calories. I mean, whatever, not to count calories necessarily, but full meals a day with some snacks, drinking a lot of hydrating water that's with minerals added or bone broth. So I'm heavy centric on the animal product animal healing traditional methods mm -hmm. and most cultures are as well yeah and this is including things like bone broth organ meats just eating meat in general a lot of beef or stewed chicken things that have been cooked and are warming mm -hmm. and almost pre-digested soups stews thick heavy like veggies and chicken and rice, or mm -hmm. like you made me the most amazing turkey chili that I'll literally never forget. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget two things. <laughs> One from my first postpartum meal, the first bites of food I literally had after my son was born, my first child, a friend from school had come. It was during our finals weekend of, mm -hmm. of studying and she had five kids herself. And so she knew, so she brought me this plate of rotisserie chicken that was still warm and so and salt on top of it. And then, so there were some raspberries and I downed it in like a half a second. And it was the most delicious thing I'd ever tasted in my life. I'll just never forget that because it was 36 hours of labor. And I, you know, ate very little during that time. I mean, I did eat enough to like, you know, support my body, but it's like, you're just eating honey yeah. sticks and fruit and like gross stuff. <laughs> just to get you by anyways. And then your turkey chili was the best thing. Oh, I'm so glad. It was so delicious. And these are the kinds of foods traditionally, mm -hmm. when we look at these ancient cultures, what are they feeding their postpartum women? There's an entire book called the first 40 days, mm -hmm. which is really, really great that I love 
that discusses all of these amazing postpartum recipes for healing, connective tissue healing, Mm -hmm. using all of that, the collagen and the cartilage, the cartilaginous aspect of broths. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're trying to stay away in this period from salads and smoothies and things that are cold. Right. Ancient cultures knew this and they focused on the warming aspect. We want to bring warmth to the area that's via food. That's also just via keeping the postpartum woman warm, warm. literally warm, warm. wearing warm. socks <laughs> and, a hat. and a hat. Unless your baby's you're giving birth in a birth in a very warm climate and it's the summer. And still warm climates often have air conditioning. Exactly. And you don't want to become chilled. can be even colder, like in Florida. Yes. You know, good point. Mindful of that. So really wherever you live, you need to be warm. Unless you're outside in the jungle, I guess. Like yeah. if you live in Costa Rica and you're outside all the time, that's, that's one thing. But in the typical sense, if you're in anywhere, you just want to make sure that your body is not getting chilled in this period again in other. So in Ayurveda, which is the sister science to yoga of what they believe in India. So this is the way that, um, Indian culture thinks of science. It's mm-hmm. called Ayurveda. And birth is an inherently huge vata dump. Vata is one of the three doshas. They, they look at the world and all components of life, living the world, people, events are made up of a combination of these three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. Vata is like air, wispy, out, depletion, cold. Yes. Cold. And birth birth is a, (laughs) is a very, and or postpartum rather is a Vata state, meaning that we need to combat that with staying warm, staying well-nourished and wet and wet and, and like, um, lubricated, like think about it as like old elderly dryness. And we want to like plump it back up. Right. Because this is the hormone drop. Like we can look Mm -hmm. at this through our modern medicine approach. The hormone drop creates this sort of picture. And so again, and without necessarily knowing all of the physiology about it, our ancient cultures know so much more in general Mm -hmm. and through practice, right? We're using heat. We're bringing the warmth back in. There's also additional practices that can be done like moxibustion, which people may be familiar with because of acupuncture. There are these little wooden boxes that sometimes people will put mugwort and, and moxa herbs in and they'll light it on fire. <laughs> it's a slow burn. It's not like a fire. Yeah. And then they put it over the uterus and they do these like uterine warming techniques. This mm-hmm. is the postpartum uterus. You don't do it over a C-section. There has to be a period of time, but you're warming the uterus or even like using heating packs or warm packs over the belly and over the uterus, belly binding, another traditional postpartum method that you may see and it, I think that we sometimes think in our modern culture that it's for the vanity of like having your waist mm. redefine its shape. It's really supportive of your organs coming and the, the muscles mm-hmm. that had to stretch your abdominal muscles that had to stretch there coming back together and having that proximity literally being brought back together by the, the cloth wrap. And it can also feel really like just supportive and comfortable. It's the same premise slightly of why we get stitches when we have an incision. The stitches right. just put the skin into the right place so that the skin can heal. So it can ba- go back together. Yeah. Yes. The stitches aren't healing you. They are just pulling the skin together so, so that it, can, it heal. can heal. Exactly. And you're bringing things back in proximity so that it can feel really good because sometimes that that mm-hmm. open oh, sort of I needed it to be I mean I had a c-section but like I needed tightness the, around me the so support oh, yes so I horrible. I fully agree I didn't actually belly bind until my third and I was like why in the world haven't I done this this whole time but it just felt so good because your belly feels really um soft and like there's no core tone which is very normal but it can kind of feel vulnerable to me mm-hmm. it felt vulnerable and like exposed and I was like oh my gosh So having this sort of belly binding wrap can feel really good. Oftentimes too, in certain cultures, like in India, I know that they'll soak it in an oil, like a castor oil or something, and then they wrap you. And so then there's added benefits that way. And then they'll warm it. So it's almost like a casserole oil pack Mm, wrapped around your stomach at all times. So these are just like super supportive, like really drawing a lot of attention. This is usually women on women, like women caring for women. And there's multiple generations in the home, in these when we're looking at this from, you know, what does it look like in the lens of being in ancient China, it would be the woman in her bed nursing the baby and the grandmother and the sisters and the aunts and the friends are doing the rest of the work around the home. They're cooking, they're preparing food, they are massaging her. So another aspect of this that's really important is that the reason why we're doing this 
if you wanted to boil it down to like an animal, more animalistic kind of what's the actual reason besides that it feels good and is nice and, and convenient is that pre-formula days, if the woman was not cared for and could not make the breast milk, the baby dies. Mm -hmm. And that new community member to this community, the new baby is very important mm -hmm. and they don't want the baby to die. I mean, nobody wants a baby to die, but they're really, really having reverence for that new member who's going to be contributing at some point and be taking care of things and helping and etc. And what do we need to do? Okay. Well, really, we don't need that much help with the baby. And even today that tenant kind of bleeds through where people are like, well, I'll come and hold your baby. And it's like, okay, well, sometimes that's helpful, but most of the time it's that I just need you to take care of everything else so that mm -hmm. I can take care of the baby because right. there's not that much you need to do to take care of the baby besides yeah. feed it. That's about it. But it's taking care of everything else yeah is really hard when you have a baby yeah, so don't come hold the baby so that the woman can go do the dishes and cook the lunch yes <laughs> i know no you come yeah. cook the lunch do the dishes yes. so that the mother can hold her own baby right and maybe you 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 hold the baby so she can take a shower but that's about yeah. it or nap or something mm -hmm. or but, nap but, that's huge but you come and you bring food i remember one of my our friends came and kind of destroyed my kitchen making a bunch of food when my son was born and it was like the most and then she cleaned it all up but I mean when I went out there at one point I was like holy crap what are you doing she's like I'm making butternut squash soup and I'm making this and I'm making that and I was like oh my gosh thank you like mm -hmm. I had no and she nursed my son okay that's another thing that we'll we'll talk about in a minute because I was having issues but it was just it was so amazing but so we want to be supporting the woman so that she can be making the oxytocin mm -hmm. to have enough breast milk. Yeah. This is the whole point. And it's, stress is going to block oxytocin yes. and it's going to block Lower your all milk supply. the things that you need. And stress comes from having to take care of everything, having to think about where your meal is coming from, having to go back to work, having to answer work emails, you know, like take a proper postpartum leave. Yes. You know. And, and the there's already this sort of stress about the lack of sleep aspect mm -hmm. as well but so we want to be supporting oxytocin in any way that that can be so if she does maybe like a certain type of music or a beautiful flower or something visually that can be pleasing that she can be looking at and feeling really well supportive safe and cared for all of these things are going to support these hormonal pathways to be able to keep this baby alive mm -hmm. okay a word about sleep is that in these traditional cultures, it is not expected of two parents to take care of a baby mm -hmm. by themselves. Yeah. That is not there. It, two adults is not enough to take care of a baby. Mm -hmm. And although I had just said that it's not, it's not that hard to take care of a newborn. What I mean by that is that it's not like, you know, overly complicated necessarily, but there's a lot of moving parts and taking care of the rest of your life is tough. So the woman is not in these traditional perspectives is not trying to sleep through the night. She's not expecting to be able to sleep mm -hmm. in the nighttime. It's this idea of, oh, sh sleep has now shifted to multiple small naps throughout the day. Yeah. That's tough. That was even tough for me. I'm like, I have a hard time falling asleep in the middle of the that's day so good for me, but that's probably why my postpartum went well. Well, and <laughs> yes, you could sleep. And I think, you know, there's this moderate way we wake up in the morning, we drink coffee and it's like, well, oh, maybe yeah. we can avoid coffee for the first little, yeah, you drink coffee. I don't drink coffee. So maybe that's literally the answer. <laughs> don't maybe drink coffee. You'll have a great postpartum. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but honestly, maybe it would be better for people to take a break if they could, so that they had the ability and some, for some people, coffee coffee doesn't affect their sleep mm -hmm. for me. It totally does. But so that they can be, it's just this shift in perspectives. They're not expecting in this ancient way. They have, they weren't expecting to be able to get their sleep at night. They knew they were not going to be able to get the sleep at night. Mm -hmm. So they did it in the daytime whenever they could as well. This is the adage of sleep when the baby sleeps, which mm -hmm. is so oversimplified and like does not actually really make that much sense, but it's like it, but in a way you sort of need to do that yeah. to be getting the adequate amount of rest throughout the day, but you're also resting in general. So you're not depleting yourself doing other little tasks. Yeah, Cause I hear women say, I can't sleep when the baby sleeps. When the baby's sleeping, I'm doing the laundry. I have yep. the dishes. I have to do the And that's the whole point. It's like, if you can't sleep when the baby sleeps because you have other things to do, those other things to do are what other people should be doing. Yes. We need to be getting help with that. And it's yes. like, well, for how, how many weeks or how long or whatever, as long as you can, mm -hmm. I mean, as long as you can, and with a balance and you know, not everybody has this luxury and I get that not everybody lives next to family. Not everybody lives next to family that's willing to help or friends 
or has the money to hire the, the support and help. So we're not saying that this is, you know, like you're wrong for not doing this. And this is the tragedy of our modern culture because this never used to be a problem beforehand. It was built in. Mm -hmm. We lived in these multi-generational systems where this was just the way of life. Mm -hmm. And we've become really far removed from that. And there's a lot of issues that we're seeing. So we need to try to recreate as much as we can some of these systems that we know work so well because they have, you know, lasted the span of throughout history. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting is that there's, just so many similarities between them from all over parts of the world that there wasn't like there was communication, you know, this mm -hmm. is happening in South America, this is happening in Asia, etc. So I think it's like super cool to talk about. So the main tenets, just to recap, building up your support system while you're pregnant and thinking about these factors and how you're going to get them, get your needs met. Okay. Mm -hmm. So resting, staying in the bed as much as you can, remembering mm -hmm. 40 days. Okay. Another plug I wanted to say is that Kimberly Johnson has a book called the fourth trimester, which is really wonderful. And you could read this in pregnancy and start to wrap your mind around all these ideas as well. And it's beautiful. It's a perfect book. So resting and being able to have other people take care of a lot of these other things in your life, if you can, or helping at least meal train food, food is a huge top priority, a very top priority. We are trying to rebuild systems, give your body the cofactors, the nutrients. Mm -hmm. You're, you've made a baby in a placenta and amniotic fluid, and you've rerouted your cardiovascular system. And you have, now you're making milk, which is the most energetic demand of this whole entire process. Yeah. And water, don't forget about and water. And water and like, staying hydrated. Making sure because you're giving so much out through fluid. Yes. So food, getting that need met, whether it's meal train friends, whatever, or cooking and preparing in your pregnancy, freezing a bunch of meals, mm -hmm. meal prepping and freezing meals, and also spend a little bit of time looking into what are the postpartum healing foods, because mm -hmm. if you can, if you, and if you enjoy those foods, if you like that, that would be ideal. So the first 40 days book is really great for some recipes about that. And just and a plug outside of food, always get your nutrients from your food first, but I do, I'm a strong believer in a good quality prenatal. Yes. Continued supplements. Part a lot of women think, Oh, my pregnancy is over and I don't need to take a prenatal anymore, but you actually need it more than ever because you've lost so many nutrients, especially getting iron on board, all of the B vitamins, your fat soluble vitamins, and you know, oh just getting the extra nutrients because you're giving that then to baby. And so you know, eating all of the most perfect foods and also potentially supplementing as well. So that you have all yeah. of those optimal nutrients, not only for you, for baby, but for you to heal as well. So that you can heal and that you can have a really good time on that note. I'm really a huge fan of beef liver. So if you can mm -hmm. do it raw, if you can do it cooked, however, or capsules, I really like the company ancestral supplements. They make a lot of really good organ supplements, but the beef liver is mm -hmm. great. I also make a blood building one. If you've had a postpartum hemorrhage, if you've mm -hmm. lost a lot of blood in your postpartum period, the blood builder complex from ancestral supplements is, is a great one to have on board. And omegas, if you're not eating fish regularly, mm -hmm. the amount of DHA that it takes to build a baby in a placenta in a regular woman, a standard American diet would take 18 months postpartum to replenish the DHA stores. And where are you going to be pulling DHA from if you're not eating it in your diet? You're going to be pulling it from your brain. Yeah. And maybe that's so, the reason why women's brain's good. Totally. Maybe, and, and that's another thing that can be a contributor to postpartum depression and, and anxiety. And, and also the EPA. So yes, EPA as well. Part, is these are two omegas, EPA and DHA. If you look at like omega-3 mm -hmm. supplements, they contain both. Yeah. So Needed is the supplement company that I've helped consult for. And in that research, when we were designing our omega-3s, actually a lot of postpartum depression is tied back to inflammation mm, as sense. all inflammation or as all depression is being tied back to a source of inflammation. And so DHA is important for baby's brain, for your brain, but EPA is the other omega-3 and that's actually what helps reduce inflammation. Totally. So it's this time postpartum that bringing in more of that EPA is actually really helpful. Perfect. And if you can get it through food, if you like fish, the smash fish, it's an acronym S M A S H. And it stands for salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, or herring. Mm -hmm. And these are the fatty fish that have the lowest mercury and the highest, you know, omega contents. Um, they can be really, really beneficial. Mm -hmm. So we're focusing on resting or focusing on nutrition 
and then we're using the element of heat mm-hmm. um, in your recovery in whatever way possible. So they're in those traditional cultures, their belief is that, you know, you, when we know this as well, that you lose a lot of heat out of the top of your head. So often you'll see hats mm-hmm. and if you're too hot for that, or it's bothersome, whatever, you know, just use this with whatever, in the, whatever way that it works for your life. But socks, I do think everybody can get behind and it's really important. We don't want ourselves getting cold in this vulnerable time period. Mm-hmm. We want to stay. What I like to say to people is that you're going to be maybe sitting on a Chuck's pad, which is like one of those puppy pads and you're, you're bleeding because you have this Loki and you're passing clots in these first early days as well. Or you're wearing a, some sort of postpartum underwear that's disposable with like a pad or whatever and you're topless <laughs> and you have a, you have like a big thick robe mm-hmm. and your baby is in between your breasts and you're going back and forth between breastfeeding and you know holding the baby up on your chest and your baby's skin to skin in a diaper and then you can wrap that robe around between you know over the top of the two That's of so you nice. I know it's so nice and then you're wearing socks and you're in your bed and you're cuddled up and you've got your water bottle next to you and you've got some snacks and then your meals are being brought to you and bone broth with your your bone broth and you're kind of you're laying down if your newborn is sleeping and then you're kind of resting dozing in and out maybe you're watching some tv or something if you like that if you want that if you're bored or listening to a podcast or some gentle music and you're really just soaking up this very short blip in time moment that you will never get back. And especially with your first baby, there's something so sweet and special because you don't have to give your attention to anybody else. And it's once that's gone, it's gone, you know? I mean, so I really just encourage people to relax and chill and wrap your head around this in pregnancy. If it's a hard concept to understand that you're going to be in the bed for so long, start to work on that now and look into like, what are your, you know, maybe anxieties or predispositions and thoughts and belief systems that make you feel like you need to be getting back up and doing things or mm-hmm. unless you know of course you have to and that's a different scenario but if you are able to build the support network this is my my wish for everybody mm-hmm. and it's also in line with the way that ancient humans have lived for throughout all of time because it works really well and then we have good healthy mothers oh the last thing i'll say is that often this is something to be aware of sometimes Women have a euphoric afterbirth oxytocin rush and they feel really good Mm. and they feel really, really good maybe for that day, but oftentimes it rides into several days and then they're resting and the breastfeeding gets going and it's feeling really good. And maybe like 10 days after their baby's been born, they're like, I feel really good. Like I, you know, or whatever, or maybe it's even like they, they stay in bed for two weeks or something. And then they start getting up and they start sort of neglecting these behaviors. This is not something that is like super acute in that you can only do it for 10 days. It's, you need to be thinking about how the entirety of your breastfeeding journey, you're going to be needing to eat more Mm -hmm. eating high nutrition foods that your body is different now, your brain is different now. And what I see, which is unfortunate is that women will burn out around like three or four months Mm. postpartum. It's like, they had a good time. They like, they recovered and they healed a little bit and then they kind of just felt fine. And then they they were back to their old ways, but they have all the addedness. And so they can't, they didn't fully recover. Yeah. Mm. And oftentimes little newborns maybe sleep a little bit better. And then they Mm. kind of perk up as they're starting to become aware of the world. They're out of that fourth trimester. Now they're three months old, they're four months old. The four month sleep regression comes around. And now these women are, and they're going back to work. Mm -hmm. This all lines up around the time of going back to work, which is really unfortunate. They're pumping all of a sudden their milk supply goes away and they're depleted and they're exhausted. And they just, this cycle is very common and really unfortunate. I think it all goes back to the way that we recover in our initial postpartum Mm -hmm. days and just wrapping our mind around different truths about our bodies. Yeah. Or maybe you have the support early on and you just don't remember about more support later. Yes. Kind of like what happens when people get a cancer diagnosis, everyone cares a lot and they're very yes. supportive initially. And then it's later when people really need that support. Yes. That it drops no off really there. Yep. So just be cognizant of that and, you know, maybe build in some systems that around that 12, you know, 10 to 12 weeks that you're taking some extra time for yourself. You're making some extra freezer meals so that you have lots of food and snacks you're learning about pumping if you have to go back to work or you're getting some naps in the day, et cetera. 
um, because it's just a really common time for a period for people to feel super tired. They felt okay. And they kind of were riding this high. They were not getting enough rest, mm -hmm. but they, they didn't feel the repercussions of it until later. And that's the thing about, about women and mothers is that we persevere. Yeah. Yeah. Always in sure. forever. But I always prioritize food and sleep yep. above all else. I will never sacrifice that house will be a wreck. The dishes will not be done. Yep. Like it is always You'll just go to sleep. Thing. Yep. I, that's just it. Maybe you're offended by my dirty home, but <laughs> I am not. <laughs> it's not even that dirty, but no. you know, we try our best. It's just no. not the priority for me. Sleep yeah. always has been. No. And that is something that I pathologically will prioritize a home messiness with mm -hmm. my three though, you know, versus like sitting down and eating a proper meal. Sometimes yeah. Yeah. I'll be like, just kind of snacking and I'm like, take a bite and then go pick up some toys and take a bite and pick it up. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I have to stop myself. Yeah. That's and something is like the, the, the kitchen can wait. Yep. I need to go to sleep right now. I'm continually working on that. Yeah. Okay. Good for you. We're all, we're, we're all different. <laughs> Oh my God. This was so great. Good. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like welcome. every woman needs to listen to this. Oh, I hope so. And share it with other people because, yeah. um, I just think that's part of our support network is like you not only knowing what to do for you, but I remember in the fourth trimester book by Kim, she said, it's important that you know this, but it's more important than the people around you know this. Yes, totally. So maybe sharing this episode with a mother or a sister, an aunt or a friend to say, Hey, I know this, but like, you don't want to be the one that's like dictating and telling everybody all of these things. Yeah. It's like create a network around you who are also aware and who know how to come in and support you. Because part of the support is you not necessarily having to ask for it, even though that's important to ask yes. for it, but for someone to just, you know, maybe take the initiative to make the meal yeah. train, or maybe take the initiative to just be like, you know what, I'm going to come do the dishes and just, or dealing with it. any like maybe older generations kind of feeling like you need to just pick yourself up by the bootstraps yeah. also share this with your partner if you have one I yes. think that that can be really helpful to just get them on board and prepared for the idea of sort of what's coming mm -hmm. and I and we have an episode about this as well but it's like often if it's a heterosexual couple men or or whatever other non-birthing partner it doesn't actually matter we'll kind of feel left out in this game of well what's going on here like I wanted mm -hmm. to be more involved in the baby's care and really, I mean, there, you can change diapers and hold the baby a little bit here and there, but it's that baby wants to be on the birthing mom and feeding and mm -hmm. being skin to skin and being skin to skin with the other partner is important too. But it's like really the other partner's role is to take care of everything else yeah. so that the, the birthing mom can take care of the baby. Yeah. And that is kind of mind blowing for some people. <laughs> so go ahead and share this with them as well and sort of wrap everybody's minds around it. And then those two books, the first 40 days and then the fourth trimester are gold. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now and it starts with you.